This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. I can't believe we haven't watched this movie yet this Christmas season. Have you watched it yet this Christmas season? It's a Christmas classic, isn't it? I got a question for you as we think about the Christmas tree, okay? I want to take a bit of a poll here this morning. We just saw on the screen the Griswold family getting their Christmas tree, forgetting a saw, but going out to a forest to get a tree. How many of you are real Christmas tree people? I see a hand or a shout or something like that? Because I kind of can't see with the lights. I'm seeing maybe half of us. How many, because I can't really see you, how many of us then are fake Christmas tree people? Yeah, there's my people. Fake Christmas tree people. That's what I'm talking about. I, I don't want to offend you, but uh, Kim and I, our family, we are fake Christmas tree people. Just find it to be cleaner, easier. You know, you can set it up whenever you want. I don't know about you in your house, but my wife likes to set up for Christmas, like on Halloween, basically. If she could, she would on Halloween, if it weren't for all the kids coming to the door. But it's just easier to have a fake Christmas tree. No freezing in the cold, having to cut it down, all that kind of stuff. We did, however, have a real Christmas tree once. The first year that we were married, 19 years ago, in 2003, in fact, I think you can see the picture on the screen. It's not, not a very nice tree, I don't think. The reason we got the real Christmas tree that year was because we were newly married, and we had no money to go and buy a fake tree. And so we literally went to Canadian Tire and paid like 20 or $30 for the cheapest tree that we could find. And i got to tell you, it was a disaster for us. We forgot to water it. None of us, neither of us grew up with fake trees. There was needles and, and sap everywhere over all the ornaments. It didn't look good. As you can tell, it looked more like a tall Charlie Brown tree than anything else. It was gross. All over the Christmas presents underneath, it was not a good experience. So on Boxing Day, we took it out of its stand and we dragged it out to the backyard. We had a ravine kind of off in our backyard. We just took it we just chucked it into the back of our yard into the ravine and went out and bought a fake Christmas tree that year while they were on clearance at that time on Boxing Day. We're not big real tree uh, people in our household, that is for sure. But it is a weird tradition when you stop to think about it, isn't it? Like if you had no context for the Christmas tree tradition. If you, you'd never heard of it before, never, never heard about people setting up trees in their house, and then you walked into someone's house at Christmas time, and they had this small evergreen tree set up in their living room with lights and ornaments on it, maybe a star on top or an angel on top of the tree. At best, you'd probably think these people are a little weird, right? Why did they bring a tree into their house and set it up. At worst, however, you might actually think they have a drinking problem, right? Because who brings a tree into their living room and sets it up? It sounds like the behavior 
of a drunk person. Jim Gaffigan has a good joke about this, and he talks about how, really, you know, when you think about it, this is something a drunk person would do. Chop down a tree and drag it into the living room and set it up in the corner and put decorations on it for Jesus. (laughs) Sounds like something that someone with a drinking problem might do. It's a weird tradition, the Christmas tree tradition. So where does the tradition come from? Then, Well, according to Google, if you Googled it, what you find is that while evergreen trees have been used as a decoration or as a symbol for almost, I don't know, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, by different cultures and religions, and there's all sorts of ancient kind of pagan traditions attached to the tree, the Christian Christmas tree tradition, as we know it today, it goes back only maybe 500 years to Germany, where it's believed that Martin Luther, the great reformer, one of the founders of the Protestant church, was the first to chop an evergreen tree down and bring it home on Christmas Eve and set it up in his living room, decorating it with candles. It doesn't sound like a good idea to me, but he decorated it with candles as a symbol of God's never-ending love for us in Christ Jesus, who is the light of the world, as Michael and Maya just lit the candle to remind us of. That, in short, is where our Christmas tree tradition comes from, with the star being placed on top, often as a symbol or a reminder of the wise men who went and found Jesus years later, or maybe we put the angel on top as a reminder of the angels that appeared to the shepherds. We put gifts underneath the tree, you know, for one another as a symbol of God's love and generosity towards you and me in Christ. That's how the Christmas tree tradition, as we know it today, came about with Prince Albert, actually, in 1800, setting up a tree in the Windsor Castle in England and causing the tradition to take off from there around the world. It's kind of cool. But as we think of this image of the tree, the Christmas tree, as we think now for this, our time together here this afternoon about the story of Jesus, in the story of Christmas. Here's a, here's a thought or an idea that I want you to consider along with me. It's this. It's that there is no Christmas without the tree. There is no Christmas without the tree. Let, let me explain what I mean by that. The story of the Bible, actually, and for that matter, the story of Christmas, which is found in the Bible, it starts with a tree. Two trees, in fact. The tree of life, which represented dependence on God and his life and power and sustenance for all eternity, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represented independence from God, independence on ourselves, where we become our own authority and decide for ourselves what we think is right and wrong. We find these two trees in Genesis chapter 2 in the biblical creation account as God placed humans in the Garden of Eden in paradise inviting them to eat from any and all the trees in the garden, except for one. The second tree I mentioned, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, God said to Adam in Genesis 2, verse 17, you are sure to die, as Adam would no longer be able to eat from the tree of life, which produced eternity, eternal life for Adam and for Eve. I know at this point in the story, some of us ask the question, well, why did God even give them the option? Why did God even put that tree in the garden in the first place? And I'll tell you why. 
It's because you can't force people to love you. You can't force people to love you. God gave Adam and Eve the choice. The choice to choose life, to choose him, or to choose to go their own way instead. Not forcing them as, a, as robots to love him and be in relationship with him. And so what then did Adam and Eve choose? Did they choose life and love and obedience to God? Or did they choose to go their own way instead? A way that ultimately leads to death. Well, as the story goes in Genesis 3, after the tempter successfully deceived them, the man and the woman chose to eat the forbidden fruit from that forbidden tree. And in doing so, they sinned against God, decided that they should be their own authority to decide what is good and right and what is evil. They didn't want God to tell them that. They wanted to decide that for themselves. And they ended up causing all of creation to be cursed as a result. A sin entered our story. Uh, all of this, in a sense, because of a tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which I, I know as I tell this story sounds like a bit of a fairy tale to some of us. It's hard when we read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 to know what's literal and what's metaphor here and all of that. And I, I get that. I understand that. But at the end of the day, though, whatever you think of that story in that passage... As we look around the world, is it really a stretch to say that the world is under some kind of curse? As we see the effects of sin and of what the Bible calls the curse everywhere we go, don't we? And we could talk about COVID. <laughs> it's a result of the curse. Think back to earlier in this year when the war in Ukraine started. And all the violence and killing and hatred that we've seen since. Not just in Ukraine, but around the world for that matter. Think about issues surrounding racial injustice. Think about human trafficking. The evils of human trafficking taking place around the world in our own country. Think about corrupt, power-hungry politicians. I won't name names, <laughs> but you might think of a few. Think of poverty around the globe, and disease, sickness, and death. The curse and the effects of sin, it's literally everywhere that you look. Even the weather, we're cursed by the weather, and the wind, and the snow. The world is under a curse. And then there's you and me, our own hearts, and our own sin, and brokenness in our own lives. For you and your own story, I'm sure that you're a good person, but think for a moment about the anger and the bitterness that you sometimes hold on to that you don't know what to do with. The guilt, the shame, the lust, the pride, your addictive tendencies and hurtful or destructive behaviors. Think even about your own anxieties and fears that cripple you. You don't have to read or agree with Genesis 1 to 3 to see and feel the reality of the curse and that our world and our own hearts and lives are not as they should be. As sin and evil has messed everything up and there's no way for us to fix it on our own. 
all because of the truth. Fast forward now to the story of Jesus and the Christmas story, the arrival of a Savior as we read about in the Bible and are celebrating here tonight. We just heard read for us from John 3.16, an amazing passage of Scripture that captures the, the essence and the, the heart of the Christmas story in just one or two verses. We've been working through these two verses all month as a church family. If you've been with us, let me read it for you again. Powerful verses. For God so loved the world in all of its sin and brokenness, in its cursed state, he so loved the world that he gave, generously gave, his one and only son, right? Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. But whoever believes in him or whoever looks to him for life, not themselves, as Adam and Eve did, whoever looks to Jesus for life, choosing to trust and depend on him, shall not perish, John says, Jesus here says actually, but have, get this, eternal life. Which is exactly the kind of life that the tree of life, that first tree, produced in the garden. Christ now, in a sense, is our tree of life. The one who provides eternal life for all who come to him, place their faith, their trust in him, believe in him and his ability to save them. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world and its sin and brokenness, though he certainly could have, but to save the world through him. Or in other words, to take what happened at the tree back in the garden and to reverse its curse on us and the world by dying on a tree himself as our Savior. Isn't that incredible? He reversed the curse of the tree by dying on a tree himself. Look at how the Apostle Paul put it in Galatians 3, verse 13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law, or the, the curse of sin and evil that came into the world when Adam and Eve decided to go their own way and ate from that tree. When he, Jesus, was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. He took all that stuff, like, mentioned just a moment ago, the stuff that we can't fix on our own, and he, he put it upon himself. He took it upon himself, our sin, our brokenness, evil, death itself, conquering it on the cross. Then listen to this. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree or a cross. A scripture often refers to the cross as a tree. It's kind of a poetic kind of play on words. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. You see what Jesus did here. He was cursed on a tree so that we wouldn't have to be. He was cursed on a tree in order to reverse the curse of that first tree to set us free. To give us life, eternal life that starts here and now and goes on for all eternity with Jesus, the giver of life. This means that for us here this evening, the real Christmas tree, they are not the beautiful trees that we're looking at on the stage. And they are not the tree that Martin Luther cut down or the tree that you have set up in your living room, as beautiful as I'm sure it is. The real Christmas tree 
was the cross that Christ hung upon. The real Christmas tree was the cross that Christ hung upon. And there is no Christmas without that tree. See, without that tree, without the cross, Jesus' birth, that would have been meaningless, wouldn't it? He would have just been another baby, another Jewish prophet, teacher, man, martyr, just another dude. But Jesus, he wasn't just another dude, was he? He he wasn't just another man. You know who he was, who he is to us today? He's the Savior of the world. The, The one through whom salvation and freedom and forgiveness and life True life is found. Why? Because Jesus was cursed for us. Taking the tree of death and the cross and turning it into the tree of life for all who would come. And this, this is the good news of Christmas. Not just that a baby was born. Babies are born all the time. The good news of Christmas is that a Savior was born to us on this day. God in the flesh, love in the flesh, born to die on a tree for the sins of the world and to reverse the curse in our lives. For us here this evening, for you, for me, do you know this Savior? Or is this just a tradition that you do every Christmas? Come to a Christmas Eve service, set up a tree, think about Jesus maybe, Do you know this Savior? Do you know your need for a Savior, for this Savior? Because oftentimes we don't know our need for saving and for the Savior, do we? We try to fix our problems ourselves, and to some extent we're able to sometimes, at least we think we are. But if you live long enough, (laughs) you find out eventually you can't fix your own problems. You can't change your heart on your own. Only God can do that. So do you know this Savior? So Christmas is all about the, the one, the Savior, who was cursed on the tree so that we wouldn't have to be. It's why there's no Christmas without the tree.
know, uh, the story of the Bible and ultimately the story of Christmas, which is found in the larger story, of course, of the Bible. It both starts with the tree, right, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And guess what? It ends with the tree as well. The tree of life 2.0, if you will, in Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible, where after Jesus returns to the world, however that all shakes down, and after he wipes away every tear from our eye, he makes every wrong right, taking all of our pain and our suffering, sickness, death, evil, ending it once and for all. After Jesus returns to the world, there is a new tree of life that appears in our story. This symbol of the garden and the way that God intended for life to be for us as human beings. Point to God's grand plan to live with his people forever, unencumbered by sin and death and fear and evil forever. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, for as much as we celebrate Christmas here tonight, we're really just celebrating the first Christmas. There's a second Christmas to come when Jesus returns and makes everything right. This is the hope that we have for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that the world as it is today, cursed as it may be, is not the way it's going to end. It's not the end of the story. And none of this happens without that tree. None of it happens without the cross of Jesus Christ, the real Christmas tree, the tree that Jesus Christ hung upon to save you and I from our sins and to reverse the curse, making everything right. So my question to you this evening, I've asked you, do you know the Savior? Similar question, what are you doing about the tree? What are you doing about the tree? Because like Adam and Eve, guess what? God gives us a choice. In love, he does not force himself upon us. You want to do your own thing? Have at it. But you'll never find life in doing your own thing. You'll only find life in coming to Jesus, the one who hung on the cross in order to bring life to us. So my prayer for you this Christmas is that, of course, we have fun around our Christmas trees at home, opening presents with our families and friends and whoever else we connect with. But that more than that, you would know of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Hope for change. Hope for transformation in our world and in our own lives because of what he did for us on the cross. Would you pray with me? Jesus, um, we just confess that the truth and the reality of what you've accomplished for us in coming to this world that is cursed as a baby, living the perfect sinless life we could not live, dying for our sins, the death that we deserved, and then rising again, conquering that, and then one day promising to return and to make everything right once and for all. It is hard for us to wrap our heads around that reality. But that ultimately is what Christmas is all about. Not just trees as we know it. Gifts, family, that's all great. It's about you, the giver of life. And so we look to you 
this evening for life. We confess that we've turned away from you and often look to ourselves, determine for ourselves what we think is right and wrong for us, as opposed to looking to you. But that way, it, it leads to death. It doesn't work. We've tried it. It doesn't work. But we want to look to you to find life instead. As we think about that first night, the silent night, the first Christmas, the night that you were born, pray that you would make that story come to life in such a real way in our own hearts and minds here this evening. We light our candles, represent you, the light of the world, present here with us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to the Gathering Ottawa's message podcast.